everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, joined as always by Josh Dooley. Coming at you here following Ohio State's 52 to 21 beatdown of Wisconsin. Um, while the score is, you know, it's a large score margin here, but I think it was even, you know, the, mo- the discrepancy between these two teams were even larger um, than the final score to indicate. Ohio State really came in here and dominated. And we have a, a bit of a different perspective this week, Josh, because you were actually in attendance at this game. So, how was that? What was it like being in the shoe for a blackout Ohio State's, you know, a route of a of Big Ten opponent? What was all that like? Yeah, it was a great experience, Gene. I mean, the energy pregame throughout the really the third quarter was top notch. Uh, you know, I hung out around the around St. John. I got to catch the team as they were doing their walk to the skull session. Um, you know, Dewan Jones first and foremost is you don't realize how big. 68360 is until you're up close and personal with it. I was probably 15 to 20 feet away and my goodness, they, Ohio State definitely has more than a few get off the bus all-stars if you know what I mean. It's Dewan Jones, Paris Johnson Jr. is an absolute animal. Tommy Eichenberg is super menacing. So, no, that was cool and then once you get into the stadium, I would say You know, 80 to 90 percent of the home fans got the blackout memo. There were quite a few, though, that, uh, you know, wore their their scarlet jerseys and their red hoodies and things like that. But um, really great energy throughout, even during the pregame when you got to see, excuse me, the teams warm up with a bunch of guys out. It didn't seem like it affected the other players, you know, guys bouncing around, talking, just really getting hyped up for what they assumed was going to be a big, important performance and a strong matchup. And, you know, not to reveal too much about what we're going to talk about, but I really didn't sense that from Wisconsin. And maybe they just have a different mentality. Maybe they are, you know, trying to get a little more focused and not as um, kind of outwardly showing that emotion, but they just kind of seemed like they were there to do a job and get it over with. I didn't sense the same sort of energy. And so, yeah, it, it was a really fun experience. It had been a couple of years, actually, since I had been to an Ohio State game. I used to hit up when I was a student. I used to go to all of them. And then as I got older and in the past couple of years, I would usually hit two to three per year if I could. But I had not been since the 2019 season. Obviously, 2020 was the pandemic. And last year, I just didn't make it to one. So um, great atmosphere. It's really tough to beat around the shoe and there on the Ohio State campus, although the campus is not a college campus anymore. It's kind of like the uh, shopping center for the campus area. It's, uh, that's pretty sad. But other than that, a really great experience, and I'm hyped to talk about the rest of this game. Yeah, I was going to kind of ask you about that, Josh, how it kind of compared to the other games you went to. I didn't know how, how often you frequented Ohio Stadium. I, I graduated in 2018, um, and I, I had season tickets when I was a student there in my four years, but I haven't been to a game. I returned for one game in 2019 um, just to see one of one of Dwayne Haskins' games, um, but I haven't been back since. So I was just kind of wanted to get your vibe on like how it was compared to some of the other games you've been to. It seemed like, you know, you know, obviously this Ohio State season is still one that like everyone is is very, you know, very interested in. Like it's still it doesn't feel like I can't get a gauge one way or another of how the the fan base is really feeling coming off the last couple of years that were disappointing. But it seems like they're on, you know, the right track this season. What was kind of the vibe like in the stadium and, and the first Big Ten game of the year against the big opponent, like you said, in a blackout, kind of a different feel there. What, what was the kind of the the atmosphere like compared to some of the other games you may have been? Vibes were high. You know, the fans are always going to show out 
and loved the experience. And they were great pregame, during game, even even postgame a little bit, you know, kind of leaving the stadium, heading back to our cars and everything like that. So I think that Ohio State does a terrific job um, to the extent that they can, you know, giving people access to not only the skull session, but the walk from the Blackwell to St. John, I think it is. Um, that's the the sort of path they take. I think they do a great job providing access to players. And I mentioned it in our Slack group. There were also a group of Ohio State basketball players set up just behind that sort of that path, that walkway. I got to meet Zed Key, you know, take a picture with him. Bruce Thornton was there. Roddy Gale. Kate Etzler, if I'm not mistaken, was the other guy that was there for the time being. <clears throat> so all of that was great. And when you're around the stadium in the parking lot, tailgates are flowing. It, you want to give all of that like a 10 out of 10. But and I can speak to this probably more so than you because I am a little bit older. But the old vibe was just you couldn't. It, there was nothing like it pre all of the corporate takeover and the sort of demolition of old high street where you could just hop from one bar to the other. You know, you've just got a billion fans walking down this one street and they, you know, kind of take a turn on the lane there and they're walking down Woody Hayes. There's all these intersections and you lose a lot of that because High Street is not what it used to be. It's a bunch of hotels and restaurants and this, that, and the other. So I, I didn't really get to go to that area, but I've been in the area in the past, and we did kind of drive, I guess, adjacent to it. And I just don't think you're ever going to beat that. And maybe I'm, maybe that's me being an old head and speaking to, you know, just walking from like 14th Avenue to the stadium and hitting up sort of like every party you can on the street and then you walk down high and it's just absolute insanity. I don't know that they can ever get that back, but around the stadium I think they do a really good job of providing access. And like I said, people love their tailgates. They showed out. Uh, it was immaculate vibes there, but I do miss the, the, the old way that it used to be. Do you share those same feelings? Yeah, I, I don't think the the uh, the Chick-fil-A and the Target are providing quite the same atmosphere as a place like Two's did in that. No, and you know what, Gene? I, I, that's where I need, to, I, I need to jump in because you brought it up, actually. It, it's not only that, but I think the one place that Ohio State has failed, and, uh, you know, it's my alma mater. I want to go back to games. I love it and all that good stuff. Ohio State concessions inside the shoe arguably the worst in America and nothing against Panera. I, I love Panera, love a good bacon, turkey, Bravo, nice salad, nice sandwich. But if that's one of your main options inside the stadium, like people want burgers and hot dogs and pizza. Yes. Donato's is there, but I, I just want to step in and bring that up because They've done all of these things. I know that Panera is sort of a huge entity around the campus. They sponsor a bunch of stuff. But for all the storied history of Ohio State and of Columbus, for your options inside to be Panera as like game day food, totally different tangent. But we, we got to step that up. You know, if you go to a Columbus Crew soccer game and you can get Dirty Frank's hot dogs or, um, you know, Mikey's late night slice, all this other cool stuff. The shoe needs to step it up. So that's just a little sidebar. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. I don't remember 
um, Panera as like the main option when I was when I was a, a student there. Granted, I wasn't really someone who was frequenting the concessions as, as a poor college student, but you know, nonetheless, I, I feel like you know, like you said, much better you know options as far as stadium food goes. I'm pretty sure you know, even if you threw a Wendy's in there, you know, I'm pretty sure Wendy's is Columbus based. Get that, get that going in there. Give you know, me at least some burgers, yeah. burgers and fries, like stuff like that. Obviously, beers and whatnot, but. Yeah, you know, it's it's clear that the the direction Ohio State has gone, and like you said, the more corporate direction. But nonetheless, um, still seemed like a great atmosphere for the game itself, um, which is obviously important given the magnitude of the game for both you know this season as well as you know all the recruits that were on hand um, that we we talked about throughout the week. Um, but yeah, you know, now that we're you know about ten minutes into the podcast, I guess we could talk a little bit about the football game that happened um, on Saturday night. Um, really, just not exactly how Josh and I had expected it to go. You know, we kind of thought that Ohio yeah. State would at least struggle a bit in the first half. You know, maybe they wouldn't, their offense wouldn't click as well against the better defense. Maybe they'd struggle to contain Braylon Allen a little bit in a big step up in competition on that side of the ball. But really, none of that was the case. Ohio State came out, especially on offense, and was near perfect, really, in that first quarter. They had a 21 to nothing first quarter. Ohio State got the ball first, went down the field, scored immediately. Got a stop against Wisconsin, came back, scored again, then got a pick against Wisconsin, scored again. And, and from then on, the game was was kind of over. You know, we talked about, I had especially talked about last week how this Wisconsin offense is not built to come back. You know, they fall down by 14, 21 points. They're not an offense that's going to be able to throw the ball around. They want to run the football, they want to chew up clock, and they want to put up points. And when you're immediately down 21 nothing, I think that takes you entirely out of your game plan and from that point on, it really just felt like Wisconsin was kind of hopeless. You know, we're going to talk about Paul Christ here a little bit, but, you know, there was no urgency from him at all. They had an early fourth and one at around midfield. They decided to punt, you know, with the game sort of hanging in the balance. So it just felt like Ohio State's offense really overpowered um, Jim Leonard's, you know, Wisconsin defense, which is not something that happens to a Jim Leonard defense quite often. The 52 points Ohio State scored is the most that he's let up at Wisconsin. And it's also the most points Wisconsin has allowed since Ohio State beat them 59 to nothing in that Big Ten championship game. But really just an impressive performance overall from this Ohio State offense, especially in that first half. Yeah, the first two drives or, you know, leading to Ohio State's first two scores, they were just they were so sharp. The Ohio State offense, C.J. Stroud was taking anything that he wanted. I think that and we'll, we'll talk about this a little more later. Their usage of Cade Stover early in the game was chef's kiss. You know, I I think putting him in motion quite a bit and splitting him out was done, you know, maybe in effort to sort of neutralize Nick Herbig and some of the Wisconsin pass rushers because those guys were not effective. And when Cade Stover's moving all around the offense and going out wide, Wisconsin has a decision to make yet. You know, do those linebackers need to chip, need to drop off into coverage? And so, at the very least, they're thinking about something and maybe a little bit slower on their first step if they are trying to get to the quarterback. So I thought Ryan Day was really, you know, in his bag, especially Cade Stover's short touchdown or, or the one after the short field, I should say, in the Tanner McAllister interception. Such a beautiful, beautiful play design. And normally I'm not a big rollout fan. I think anytime you shrink the field when you've got five different options. It's it's not helpful to the offense, but to roll CJ out and then have CJ or uh, I'm sorry, Cade Stover come the other way on the field. Again, we can talk more about that, but that was a beautiful play design. Once Ohio State went up 14 to nothing, all of the juice from Wisconsin completely evaporated. And 
it's odd because I get it. You know, road game, tough atmosphere. They're playing in a blackout. And look, in the back of their minds, they probably know that they're the considerable underdog. But being in the stadium and just sort of like I was closest to the Wisconsin sideline. Obviously, I was on that side of the field. Their energy was gone. It's like that 14 to nothing lead could have been 140 to nothing at that point. Just no juice from the players on the sideline. You'd have guys here and there trying to hype everyone up. The the one that I really noticed was Graham Mertz. He was doing the opposite. You know, as the quarterback and the leader, you should be like, hey, all right, we're down. We need to go out there and get some points, this, that, and the other. Nothing. Just nothing from those guys. And so <clears throat> I was really surprised by that. Sorry about the... The voice, I was yelling quite a bit. <clears throat> I was really surprised by that because 14 to nothing is not an insurmountable lead. 21 to nothing, eh, 28 nothing, okay, now we've got a problem. But it's like Ohio State got up and Wisconsin went into surrender Cobra mode. And so from that perspective, it's actually kind of disappointing. I wanted Wisconsin to put up a fight. I thought that they were a team – capable of doing so but the other thing that you could tell from the beginning is physically they could not match up with this Ohio State team Ohio State's defensive line it wasn't necessarily overpowering but they played the the run well throughout most of the game but on the other side of the ball Dewan Jones Paris Johnson Jr. the guys in the middle Wisconsin had nothing for them um, just they ran up against a total brick wall. Ohio State was running the ball very well in the beginning of the game. And that's probably the thing that jumped out the most to me is how physical Ohio State's offensive line was up front because we've seen that. But you had to kind of call into question the competition. We don't know still how good Notre Dame is. And maybe we don't know how great Wisconsin is. And, and so maybe both of those teams are sort of mid-tier and we're not really going to know until Ohio State goes up against a Penn State or a Michigan or, or what have you. But Ohio State imposed its physical will from the get-go. And with, when CJ is hitting on all cylinders and finding all of his guys, that's really tough to stop. And so it just started to become an avalanche for Wisconsin. And they ended up being buried by it. Yes, I, I thought it was very mean of Ryan Day to go out Wisconsin with a, a physical run game and throwing to his tight ends. Um, really just seemed like they, they wanted to beat Wisconsin with their own game, which I thought was very funny. Um, but yeah, like you said, it was very good to see Ohio State's offensive line specifically really just physically overmatched Wisconsin's defense. You know, the, the Ryan Day always talks about having a balanced offense, and you look at this game, Ohio State put up 539 total yards of offense, 281 passing, 251, 258 rushing, so nearly a perfect split between the pass and the rush, you know, especially early on, C.J. Stroud was just surgical with some of his passes. He was hitting everything, you know, short, long, intermediate. He just looked perfect out there. He was he was tossing all around, hitting different receivers, finished the game 281 yards, five touchdowns, and the one interception, which he did throw, you know, Josh and I did hit on our, our we point hit the five. Over, baby. We hit our over on C.J. Stroud interceptions with point five. We did both think that he would throw his first pick in this game, and it was kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of pushing it at the end of a quarter, trying to, at the end of the half, I should say, um, in like a, a one-minute drill, trying to get down the field and he kind of overthrew his receiver and it led to a pick but nonetheless he looked phenomenal out there especially in that first half 
missed on a few throws in the second half, but they were up big. Maybe a lack of focus by some guys there. But, you know, in that first half when the game was still in the balance, he was looking very, very good out there. Um, Ohio State finished the game with 200-yard running backs. Both Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams finished the game with over 100 yards. Henderson had 21 carries for 121. Williams with uh, 101 yards on 11 carries and two scores. So the run game and the pass game both worked to perfection. And, yeah, like you said, you know, Cade Stover – especially early on, was a huge part of this offense. Yeah, he's he looked really good for Ohio State, kind of out of nowhere. Four catches for 51 yards and the two touchdowns really set the tone early, was was kind of getting behind the defense and, like you said, sort of forcing the the Wisconsin linebackers really to, to think about what they're doing out there. They wanted to rush C.J. Stroud, but the more that they blitzed him, the more he had these guys open in the middle of the field, and especially a guy like Cade Stover, who has proved to be a valuable pass-catching weapon. It was it was really good to see. You know, Ohio State only really only finished the game having thrown to four different receivers. Um, outside of Stover, it was Abuka Fleming and Harrison with all of the catches. So didn't play a ton of, of the backups out there. weren't rotating a lot at wide receiver. And obviously, once again, without Jackson Smith and Jigba, which is not something we were expecting going into this game. A different different game plan there, but. All of the guys that played, played well. Um, I loved what I saw from Julian Fleming out there. Your guy um, looks like he's going yeah. to continue to, to be a, a larger and larger part of this offense as the season goes on. He continues to get healthier. He made some really nice catches. Had another touchdown in this game, so he's got three touchdowns in the two games he's played in. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. had three catches for 45 yards in the first half and then didn't really um, do much else. he looked good doing he it, He did right? look good doing it. He was the talk of social media with his Apple Watch and his, his Louis Vuitton painted cleats. Um, very cool to see that. And like, it's very funny for people reacting like oh look at look at what nil is doing and it's like no his his dad is just a hall of famer nfl like his family has a bunch of money it is not the uh, marvin harrison jr does not need the nil to have have money in his family but it was very funny to see he's obviously a very cool dude out there um but emek egbuka finished with, as ohio state's leading receiver six catches 118 yards and two scores Really loved what I've seen from Abuka this season so far. Has been kind of the do-it-all guy for them. He's caught the, the short ball. He's caught the long ball. He's done some stuff in on end-arounds. Didn't do any of that in this game. But he's proved to be a very versatile weapon in that receiving core. So overall, I think all parts of this Ohio State offense were clicking. And it was it was really good to see that they were able to both, you know, have a physical run game, but also, you know, dink and dunk their way down the field, throw some dimes from C.J. Stroud. I think anything they wanted to have in this game, they were getting. And against, you know, a very good one of the best defense coordinators in the country, and Jim Leonard, um, maybe doesn't have the talent to do what he'd like to do out there this year. But nonetheless, I thought it was an incredibly impressive performance for this Ohio State offense to drop 52 points on a Wisconsin team that you know we expected to be a, a step up in in defensive prowess from the other teams they played. But Ohio State made them look you know no much better than than the Toledo's and Arkansas states of the world. Absolutely, and it's you know I'll start with this. It's hard to sort of poke holes when the Ohio State offense puts up 52 points on what we think is a, a still good <clears throat> excuse me, Wisconsin defense. But I, I do think that there are times when they still miss JSN. And why wouldn't you, right? He's arguably the best wide receiver in the country. And, you know, I'm sitting there watching pregame. He, he's stretching. He's doing calisthenics, things like that. But then helmets go on. Guys start catching passes. And I don't see JSN out there. And I'm like, uh-oh. You know, so I, I couldn't really see social media or any of the pregame stuff. So I'm like, I don't know if he's playing or, you know, maybe he's just getting some additional treatment. Then I eventually remembered that Ohio Stadium does have Wi-Fi. Kudos to them. I was like, oh, OK. So I jumped on Twitter and kind of see what's going on. But I think you saw it more so in the second half or really even the second quarter at times. There are occasions where C.J. Stroud is holding on to the ball looking for something to come open and 
you know, he can get a bit greedy, I think, at times. We definitely saw that with the interception. That was – it was a good route. I don't think that Marvin Harrison Jr. cut it off or anything like that. I think C.J. Stroud floated that pass. But you have to sort of give it to him because those sort of floaters or non-howitzers, he puts some balls in some really clean pockets sometimes, like over one guy in front of another. So he sees the field really well. But getting back to JSN, when he's not out there – there are plays that go a little bit longer, and I think they cause C.J. Stroud to take maybe some chances. We saw it with Cade Stover getting destroyed in the second half, going up for a ball. That wasn't a bad pass by any means, but very, very small window for which Cade Stover ended up paying the price. The interception was the same way. He's trying to duck it in there. And I don't know that as good as Julian Fleming has been, I don't know that he's an apples-to-apples replacement for, for JSN because JSN is so good in the middle of the field, and he gets open so quickly. I don't know that they've figured out a way to replace that yet. I believe that Marvin Harrison Jr. is more opened up by the presence of JSN, and we may have seen that last night with just the three catches for 45 yards. I'm not... It's no knock on his ability. I think he's an absolute monster, but it might take him a little bit more time to get open. I don't know if he's that short window, short route kind of guy. We did see a slant to him in the second quarter that went for an easy first down, but they didn't look to that many more times. Emeka Ibuka can do a little bit of everything all over. And Julian Fleming is, in my opinion, a very high-end security blanket. He can work his way back to the quarterback. He can get open on those longer developing routes. But when you need something quick and you want to just – feast on the underneath. I think that's where Ohio State does miss JSN. and Hopefully they get him back next week. But speaking to what we did see out on the field, um, yeah, it's hard to really knock the Ohio State offense for everything else. I thought that the run game was really good. And to see Mayan Williams in person, he's so physical. Like he just he refuses to go down on first contact. And I thought Travion Henderson fed off of that as well. I think Trey was looking for contact. And at times that that may have caused him to maybe miss a hole. I, I think there were a couple of times where he maybe could have bounced something out or made a cut for a longer play, a longer run. But he welcomed that contact. He was putting his shoulder down, uh, you know, pad on pad, and really making some of those Wisconsin defenders pay for it. Like I said earlier, the guys up front completely dominated. And with Cade Stover, it seems like it's something different that they do with him almost every game. You know, we had seen him split out wide in Ohio State's first couple of games, but that was exclusive early on. They were putting him out, split out, and I don't know how to describe his play style because he is certainly not a Kyle Pitts type where he's more of a wide receiver and you put him out wide. He looks almost like Gronk out there with all the the elbow pads and this, that, and the other. Farmer Gronk. Yeah, you know, he is he's a unique player. And I think Ohio State is figuring out more and more how to use him because he can be a weapon. Like, he's not lightning fast, but he can get open. And then if you put the ball in his general vicinity, he's going to come down with it. Even when he got flipped you know, on that pass in the second half, he came down with that ball and just lost it at the very last second. Go back to last week, he had a couple 
fantastic grab. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's the MVP of the Ohio State offense, but he might be working his way up there because he can block. And now they've figured out how to use him as a pass catcher. And it's just an option that I don't think a lot of teams prepared for up until now. We'll see what the rest of the Big Ten slate brings. But I've just been really impressed by him. And I I think Ohio State now just has so many options on the table that they can figure out moving forward, even if it takes a while to reintegrate JSN into the offense, which I don't think it will. I think they've just got an embarrassment of riches on that side of the ball. And that gives Ryan Day a ton of options. And it's going to be very difficult for these other Big Ten teams to prepare for. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking here as we're talking about it, maybe Cade Stover and his ability over the middle has been a byproduct of not having JSN in the game. You know, those a lot of those plays over the middle have maybe maybe were plays that would be drawn up for JSN rather than Cade Stover if he was, you know, available. So maybe we'll see, you know, potentially less of that once JSN is back. But nonetheless, like you said, Cade Stover has really stepped up big here in the early part of the season, has made some really impressive plays for Ohio State in terms of CJ Stroud yeah like you said he did uh, especially in the second half I think maybe a bit of a lack of focus and a big blowout but he did miss on a couple of throws Um, he had probably like a walk-in touchdown to uh, Julian Fleming on one part over the middle but uh, Wisconsin brought a rush he wasn't really able to step up into it Um, he did miss a he missed a guy in the end zone I think but he also made like a handful of really really just ridiculous throws Um, One in particular, I believe it was a touchdown to Julian Fleming over the middle where he split it between the linebacker and the safety and and uh, Julian Fleming came down with the touchdown pass. Very impressive stuff. Um, You know, not a ton to knock him on this season. You know, you look at his stats so far um, on the year, 79 of 112 passing. So over 70% completions, 16 touchdowns to just the one interception, over 1,200 yards through four games. Just a a fantastic start to the season, about as good as you could ask for from C.J. Stroud. Um, and yeah, like you said, the running game was was really good. You know, both Henderson and Williams are, are playing really well. I am interested to see, you know, we're, we're four games into the season now. Trayvon Henderson doesn't have a reception yet, which I, I find interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we saw how dynamic he was in the first game of the year last season against Minnesota when he took his one screen pass for like 60, 70 yards and a touchdown. Surprised we haven't seen Ohio State try to get it to him in space at all, really, thus far this season. And, you know, maybe they're saving that for some of their tougher opponents. Maybe they want to throw that wrinkle in here and there, but it is surprising to see that he doesn't have a single reception yet, given that, you know, Mayan Williams himself has three catches for 23 yards, and he's not exactly the, the receiving threat you would think. Even Dallin Hayden has two catches for 13 yards on the year, so a bit surprising to see him not have a catch yet. I'm interested to see if they mix that in at all, but in terms of the play calling, we've given, you know, Ohio, uh, Ryan Day a lot of crap the past few weeks for being, you know, not the best. I thought he did call a very good game in this. You know, you talk about, you said earlier, that that play designed to Cade Stover on the rollout where you, you hit him back and there's no one there. Very good play. Same thing later on with Kate Silver's other touchdown where they rolled out uh, C.J. Stroud and they kind of forced the linebackers both to pursue Stroud to the edge and then he just lofted it over to Kate Silver wide open in the end zone. So, Yeah, Gene, of- I want to uh, yeah. jump in on that one actually because they were talking to Tommy Eichenberg post-game and they brought up that play and he said that they practice that a lot and it's difficult for Ohio State's defense to account for and stop and they know that it might be coming. So I, I just want to step in on that one play call. It seems like it's something Ohio State works on and has success against even when the other guys might know it's coming. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that again. Yeah, it is It is like a tough play to guard because Ohio State's faking. They're pulling the, the play to the left side. Stroud's rolling over to the right. And so now you have you have two linebackers in space 
with with Cade Stover kind of running the same direction as Stroud. And so as a defense, you either have to, you know, you know that Stroud can run. So you have to, you know, at least give him, you know, credit with his legs and you have to to give him like his his due diligence. But at the same time, if you're both, you know, if you're not confident enough to go have a one-on-one tackling CJ Stroud in space, you're sending the two guys after him and that's leaving Cade Stover open. So it is a nice play. It is one that's probably hard to defend. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that again at some point this year. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought Ryan Day called a good game. Really good balance between the pass and the run, as we've said. Um, offensive line looked really good. Ohio State was was seven for eleven on third downs. Um, they were seven for seven in the red zone scoring points, which is obviously fantastic. Um, only I believe three penalties in this game, and I think one of them was on special teams. I think there was one maybe hold or false start, and the other might have been on defense. So uh, another clean game for Ohio State in that department. But I think overall, you know, as we kind of wrap up offense and about to move to defense, I think there isn't really a ton to complain about. Like I said, there was some miscues in the second half and when Ohio State was up big already. Um, So I'm not really super concerned about that. But overall, I, I, I think that this Ohio State offense, with what they're doing, like you said, without probably the best wide receiver in the country, still putting up these, these points week in and week out, um, and C.J. Stroud looking as good as he has, you know, still the Heisman favorite, I think there is, you know, there is, should be no worries at this current moment about Ohio State's offense. And I've got one more thing C.J. Stroud related, and I'll let you kind of um, drive the run in here, Gene. You spoke about his ability to run. Um, whether we see it a lot or not, we know that it's there. And in the second half, he really had a nice scramble, kind of evaded a sack, really should have gone down. He ended up throwing the ball. He didn't run it for a gain or anything like that. And if I'm not mistaken, it was actually an incomplete pass. But he did show some mobility um, to escape the the rush, got out. And um, so really good to see from him. But that kind of corresponds with it was late in the second half. It was in the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Not real sure why he was still in the game. And you and I talked about it a little bit before the podcast. It it could have been ugly and C.J. Stroud not gotten away from the sack or taken a big hit on the sideline, which is where he was going on that play. Were you surprised to see that offense in the game so late? And whether you were or not, why do you think that was? Yeah, I, I've come to just sort of expect it at this point from from Ryan Day. It just seems like every single game, Ohio State's starting offense is in for maybe one more drive than everyone else would like to see them in. Uh, just just seems to be a thing he does. I don't know if it's like a, you know if he's trying to pad C.J. Stroud's Heisman stats, um, whatever it is. But it does seem like every single game it's it's one or two extra drives than you'd like to see the starting offense out there. Um, and you know it, it's it's nice to get these guys you know more reps and whatnot. But I would like to see the backups get reps, and I'd also like to not see the starters get hurt when they're up you know thirty forty points in the fourth quarter of a football game. Um, so I don't love it, but I, I'm not surprised at it by this point. You know, we've seen pretty much throughout, throughout the entire Ryan Day tenure this this kind of be a theme of what he likes to do. So I don't know. I don't really get it. Um, if he's padding CJ's stats, you know, whatever. He did wind up throwing an extra touchdown on that last drive that they did. Um, but kind of like you talked about here, like I think one of the most impressive aspects of CJ Stroud's season thus far has been, you know, how cool, calm, and collected he has been in the pocket. Whether he has a clean pocket back there to stand around, or whether he has to step into a throw, whether he has to evade pressure, I think he's done a really tremendous job. And I think there are a handful of times where 
maybe Ohio State's offensive line has missed a guy or two in pass protection, but Stroud's been able to, you know, evade the pressure, run around in the backfield, you know, continue to make plays. And even if he's not running with his legs and taking off, he's finding an open man or he's throwing the ball away, avoiding a sack, avoiding a turnover. So I, I think that's been really impressive for him thus far. And I think that it's, it's you know, especially on a team like Wisconsin, it seemed like they were trying to blitz him a lot early and it just wasn't working because he was, he was so like, he wasn't phased back there. It wasn't like, he wasn't scrambling or freaking out when pressure came. He kind of just stayed with it, either stepped up or evaded the pressure and then wound up finding the open man. So I've been really impressed with his pocket presence so far in the season. And I, I think that'll continue as he continues to, you know, carve up defenses the rest of the year. And I think credit goes to the offensive line for that, or at least some credit, right? Because this is a much better offensive line than we saw last year. So I think that CJ Stroud just has a confidence about him that he is going to be protected and he can take an extra second back there. And yes, he himself has improved, whether that's just pocket awareness, his mobility, his inclination and timing when he needs to step up in the pocket versus hang back a little bit more. So I think it's it's really threefold. I think it's coaching. I think it's C.J. Stroud's self-improvement. And I, I think it's also the offensive line in front of him because they've been really good. And just the reason I asked you that question, though, before we go to the other side of the ball, and I talked about it when we were uh, on just before the podcast, I think there was an ulterior motive in C.J. Stroud staying in the game. And I could be 100% wrong. I don't want to call Ryan Day out for this. I am the leader of the Ryan Day fan club. But I think that the only reason C.J. Stroud remained in the game is because on the previous drive, when Wisconsin put up their um, – or, or was trying to – yeah, no, they did put up a, a second touchdown – Wisconsin kept Braylon Allen in the game, extended into the fourth quarter, down 100 points, and just continued to run and run and run and beat him into the ground. And I don't really know why that was. Maybe this is where we have the Paul Christ conversation, or you know, we can save it until later, whatever you want to do. I don't know if it's a pride thing where, where you know he was trying to get Braylon Allen 100 yards. I don't know if it was ignorance or arrogance in wanting to prove that they could run against Ohio State maybe Braylon Allen was just like hey coach I want to keep running but being there and being close to the sideline I could tell Braylon Allen was dog tired he didn't look so tired on that 75 yard touchdown run but you know that was against some of the second unit I I think that Ryan Day saw that and was like okay if you want to continue to run your only offensive weapon into the ground, I'm not going to do the same thing with C.J. Stroud. I'm not going to put him intentionally in harm's way, but I'm going to keep my guy out there. Now I'm going to hang 50 on you just out of spite because I think we've seen that in the past. Ryan Day coaches and speaks and does things with a little bit of a, a chip on his shoulder. I think that's part of the reason that we really like him as a the Ohio State head coach. So I think that's why we saw them out a little bit later last night. How did had Wisconsin maybe called off some of the dogs or, hell, tried to do something different. You know, let your guy throw the ball. Try and work on that part of your offense. Instead, they were like Braylon Allen all the way down the field. He's our only weapon, which means he's your only weapon for the rest of the season. Instead of putting in a Chesma Lucy or anything like that, they just continued to pound him. And so that's why 
I think there was some ulterior motive. Again, I could be 100% wrong, but that's my guess as to why we saw C.J. Stroud and that first-team offense out a little bit longer. Yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. You know, we've seen Ryan Day coach it in spite before against some some other teams and whatnot, you know, whether it be, you know, a, a Dabo Sweeney or, or against Maryland specifically. You know, he's definitely done some things in spite, so I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to drop 50 after Wisconsin left Braylon Allen in there and really, like you said, grinded out on that last drive with him in there. Speaking of Braylon Allen and that Wisconsin offense, um, I think Ohio State's defense did, uh, you know, once again, a really good job in this game. You know, we didn't expect much from uh, Graham Mertz in this game passing the ball, but 11 of 20 with 94 yards, one touchdown and one pick is is certainly a job well done by an Ohio State secondary that was missing, you know, basically all of its starting corners. Um, you know, Wisconsin's best passer in this game was actually Braylon Allen. He had a, you know, a one for one with 10 yards on a little wildcat pass. So shout out to new Wisconsin quarterback Braylon Allen. Um, but but in terms of Allen, you know, we that was the guy we highlighted coming into this game. You know, we knew Wisconsin's offense was going to run on Braylon Allen, and if he wasn't getting the job done, it was going to be a long night for Wisconsin. He finished the game, 23 carries for 165 yards and a touchdown, but a very misleading stat line because he did break off a long 75-yard touchdown run against Ohio State's backup defense late in the game. Um, without that long run, 22 carries for 90 yards, about you know four yards a carry or so. I think that's a respectable job by Ohio State's defense. You know, against one of the premier running backs in the country, he did not really do much against Ohio State's starting offense. Whenever they needed, you know, a stop, and then the run game, they were doing a very, pretty good job of it. No, no other really long runs by him to speak of. So. Good job by High State starting defense um, in both the passing and the run game. But, you know, kind of like I alluded to, a lot of injuries on that side of the ball. High State was missing um, both Denzel Burke and Cam Brown, as well as, you know, the continued absence of Jordan Hancock. So three of their six scholarship cornerbacks. We saw J.K. Johnson. I might have to get out there. Yeah, Josh is getting ready to suit up out there. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I thought J.K. Johnson and uh, Jair Brown, who wound up being the starting cornerbacks in this game, performed admirably. You know, kind of tough to gauge against the Wisconsin offense that doesn't like to throw the ball a whole ton, doesn't have really dynamic wide receiver talent. But I thought those guys did a good job out there. You know, once again, Tommy Eichenberg was the real star of the defense. 14 tackles in this game, two of them for loss, was really all over the place making plays, especially in the run game. Um, I thought Josh Proctor made a bunch of nice plays um, from his safety spot, so that was good to see. Of course, we talked about before Tanner McAllister coming up with a big pick. He also had a big pass breakup late in the first half to save a would-be touchdown, knocking the ball at the hands of the receivers. So he's kind of a guy I've talked about previously as a guy that I haven't really noticed back there, but he had a really good game in this one. So overall, I thought Ohio State's secondary played really well. I thought the defensive line was okay. They didn't really get a ton of pressure. They had um, an early sack from Jack Sawyer, but after that, not a, not a ton of, of you know, really much going on back there. I thought you know Graham Mertz on more than one occasion had pretty decent amount of time to throw, but didn't do much with it, which is, you know, once again, just a credit to how well Ohio State secondary played, especially with how man down they were. You know, I don't know if it was injury or just, you know, matchup wise, but we didn't see a lot of Lathan Ransom in this game either. So another big member of that secondary that didn't play in this game. Um, and, and I thought, yeah, overall, I thought there was, though, another good performance. We wondered how they would look against a team that was a, a much better offense or at least a, a perceived step up from the competition Ohio State has played thus far. And I thought they did a really good job. You know, it's it's uh, we're at the point where we have to, you know, we've been saying every week we don't really know what this defense is so far but I, I think we're getting to the point where this is just you know a legitimately good defense and they're still not 100% healthy they're missing a bunch of guys the cornerback play is still a big question mark but 
playing in the conference they do. It hasn't been an issue yet. It probably won't be an issue for at least a couple weeks. And as those guys get more up to speed, as they continue to get healthy, I'm feeling pretty good about this Ohio State defense, which is not something I thought I'd be saying four weeks into the season, but it's, it's looked good. Yeah, Gene, I have to agree with you there. I feel good about the Ohio State defense. I will say, though, that maybe they might just end up being a boring, good defense. I think the one thing that I've been surprised by thus far is the lack of a pass rush and the lack of sack numbers because we saw Jim Knowles' Oklahoma State defense last year. Uh, they were either the leaders or one of the leaders in sacks in, in all of FBS. So Ohio State has not replicated those numbers. And we saw the one sack last night, but not a ton of pressure uh, outside of that. And, and maybe it's twofold. You know, I, I thought that Ohio State might blitz Graham Mertz a little bit more to try and force him into some poor decisions. But on the other hand, maybe they just thought that they didn't need to and they wanted to keep your Tommy Eichenbergs and your Steel Chambers back a little bit to help support the run. So I'm not real sure what the, the mentality or the thought process was there, but if you've got three or four guys up front, at some point you need to start winning some one-on-one matchups without the blitz. And so I was a bit underwhelmed by that. But again, maybe they're just playing it safe. Maybe the the ask or the direction was make sure that you are setting the edge and you're ready for the run. We can't get inside the minds the mind of Jim Knowles, so I'm not so sure there because I, I thought at some point we would start to see JTT eat a little bit. I, I thought that we would see a step up in play from Zach Harrison this year. I thought that uh, you know Jack Sawyer could potentially be one of those new sack artists and. While they haven't been, they've been really solid in every other aspect of the game. So I'm not going to get worried about that yet um, or be too pessimistic, but I am a bit surprised, I guess, that we haven't seen more production up front. Other than that, though, just really, really good in run support. They were gang tackling Braylon Allen. They were hitting him hard. They were making him pay for those runs outside of the 75-yarder. Tommy Eichenberg is just everywhere, all over the field. It's something you and I talked about. The thing that impressed me the most with him is when Tommy Eichenberg deci- makes a decision or and decides where to go, he's a rocket. He does not come across as maybe the most athletic linebacker on the field. I would still give that to a Steel Chambers or somebody else, but when he plays decisively, Tommy Eichenberg, you know, he's shot out of a cannon and you can see he's, he's got his feet chopping a million miles a minute kind of revving up to go. And he was just he was everywhere. He is, I think, starting to earn a status as one of the better linebackers in the Big Ten overall. Again, maybe not the most athletic guy. We don't see him do a ton in pass coverage, but his game has improved everywhere across the board. He's a leader. 14 tackles last night. Steel Chambers was had like an underrated night. I I think that he was also involved in a lot of those run plays where he needed to be, when he needed to be there. I was really excited to see Sonny Styles out there as sort of like a a third linebacker early on. He is physically very impressive and willing to mix it up. And you talk about the secondary, I want to give big time kudos to Tanner McAllister, not just because of the interception or the pass breakup, but I was sitting there and I was watching those guys get lined up and get ready every single snap. 
And I think that Tanner McAllister was speaking and, and talking with those young quarterbacks every single snap. He is legitimately an extension of the defensive coordinator on the field, which probably shouldn't surprise us, but he was in those guys' ears. And then even talking to a Josh Proctor or a Ronnie Hickman, he is so vocal out there. And I think that's an intangible that may not be accounted for when he's not putting up big stats, but then he was able to give you the stats, give you a really impressive pass breakup last night. So I don't know if I had realized how important Tanner McAllister was going to be to this defense, but seeing it in person, I get it. I know why he's there. I know why Jim Knowles probably wanted this guy and went after him potentially in the portal because he is a, a real coach on the field. Josh Proctor looked impressive, probably his best game of the season in Lathan Ranson's absence. And Ronnie Hickman still not hearing a whole lot from him, but that can be a good thing. And that's why it, go, it brings me back to my original point. They might just be a boring, good defense. You know, they have been really, really good against the run so far this season. They gave up the 75 yarder and Jim Knowles probably won't be happy with that. But I really want to, I'm not going to do it while we're doing the podcast. That would be terrible podcasting, but I'd like to pull up what Ohio State's like traditional run stats are if you take away the Braylon Allen run and a couple Daquan Finn scrambles. I think Ohio State's front has been lights out on like from scrimmage, just handoffs. And I, I wish I could get those stats, but when they go up against some of these other Big Ten teams, I think that's going to really play well. I think that Iowa probably in for a rude awakening, maybe a Michigan State. Uh, you think about teams like that, Rutgers even next week, it's going to be really difficult to run against Ohio State out of a traditional look unless you maybe have a scrambling quarterback, a dual threat guy, or an upper echelon, just elite running back like Wisconsin has. But we even saw that last night, 20-some carries, under 100 yards until he broke the long one. So in totality, my biggest takeaway and the, the thing that you really want to hang your hat on if you're an Ohio State fan is these guys are fundamentally sound. They are not missing assignments. They're well-coached. They're aggressive. Yes, you'd like to see another sack or two here or there, but I, just, I love where this Ohio State is, defense is at right now. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think almost any Ohio State fan would gladly sign up for a boring, good defense at this point. You know, what from how bad this unit was the last couple of years now coming into this season, you know, they're not putting up tremendous turnover numbers, not putting up tremendous sack numbers. But at the end of the day, Ohio State's winning games by 30 points and their defense isn't an issue. And, you know, we kind of talked about coming into the season and even at the end of last season, how if Ohio State even had, you know, a top 50, top 60 defense, that would probably be enough to get the job done with how good their offense is. And I think they've played well above that metric and with how well Ohio State's offense continues to, to work, I think that that's, you know, this is a makeup of a very good football team overall. So I think boring is good. I think that, you know, if you're going to have a sound fundamental defense, I think that's very good for a team like Ohio State that maybe doesn't have some of the 
you know, the highest end defensive talent and maybe every single position. But like you said, the front seven has played really good. I think that kind of what you alluded to of how, you know, they're not asking guys like Tommy Eikenberg and Steel Chambers to do a lot in the passing game. That's probably why the front seven is playing so well. You know, in past years, they were kind of forcing, you know, the, some of their linebackers into pass coverage, and it just wasn't what they were adept at doing. You know, these are guys that are built to stop the run. And if you're asking them to cover, you know, guys who are running four fives out there at wide receiver, it's not going to happen. So I think putting these guys in position to succeed, you know, we've seen how well Tommy Eichenberg has fit into this system and he's not doing really anything in pass coverage. I think that's good for him. You know, he's not, I don't want him covering another team's top wide receiver. That shouldn't be happening. I don't want Tommy Eichenberg split out wide on the sideline. I want him in the middle of the defense, you know, stopping the run, providing protection over the middle, because that's what he's good at. I think that Jim Knowles has done a really good job of putting all of these guys in a position to succeed. And while it might not be flashy, like you said, they're not, you know, putting up, you know, really impressive stats. I think at the end of the day, though, they're holding these offenses to a limited amount of points. And that's all you could really ask for. I I think I've been very, very happy with what I've seen. I thought that it would take a little bit longer for Ohio State's defense to really get clicking with how bad they were. But we've seen so far now through four games, they're they're only really continuing to get better. And as we're getting into tougher and tougher competition, the the level of play from Ohio State's defense has continued up. You know, like you said, I loved seeing um, some of the rotations from this past game, seeing Sonny Styles in the game in the first quarter or the first half. I don't remember if it was in the second quarter, but nonetheless, having him get early snaps is good to see. You know, we got to see. You know, CJ Hicks was in there a little bit, not not a ton early, but you know, a guy like Cam Martinez is is been you know practicing at both corner and safety with all the injuries. You know, he they've got some positional versatility in the back end. Um, and, and I think it's really good. They've got a bunch of guys they could count on at each position. It's not a, you know, if it, if the starter isn't in, the backups are terrible. Um, I, it's not like that at all. So I, I've been impressed so far with pretty much everyone top to bottom. We've we've had our, you know, our gripes with guys. There's been guys that have struggled. You know, we've, we've documented some, some guys that haven't really stepped up to the level of play yet. But now there's some guys behind them, like, you know, maybe a Jair Brown at corner. Turns out to be a guy that could be dependent on as the season goes along. Um, we don't really, Ryan Day doesn't expect any of these guys on, on either side of the ball for their injuries to be long-term. So maybe a lot of these guys are back next week against Rutgers, although I don't think they'll really need them. Um, but nonetheless, I think that there's a lot to like about this Ohio State defense, even if it isn't super flashy. Um, it seems like a new guy, you know, other than Tommy Eichenberg, who has been consistently at the top of the list tackles-wise each week. It seems like every every week there's a new guy stepping up on defense, whether it be a guy like this week, Tanner McAllister, or, you know, previous weeks, a, a Lathan Ransom or a Mike Hall. Every week has had their own defensive hero, and I think that's kind of the mark of a, of a good defense here where everyone is, is contributing and, and helping get the job done as a whole. Yeah, a couple things. You brought it up, um, you know, sort of some of the rotation. And I think back to last year, and it's a couple of things. Last year, the Ohio State's defense was at some time often exciting for the other team because they had a couple, oh, you know what moments. And so that's where, yes, to your point, you'll take boring. All right. If guys are just like, oh, hey, here's where I'm supposed to be and when I'm supposed to be there. And then we go and tackle that guy. It seems like Ohio State is coached to do that. And I'm fine with it because I can I can deal with any more of the blown assignments, not setting the edge of this, that, and the other. So it, it's clearly evident through four games. You kind of look back at it and you're like, oh, okay, Jim Knowles knows what the hell he's doing. And that's great. And that's not a knock on previous coaches. It's just he's been doing it for so long. He is clearly a teacher, a thinker, a fundamentalist kind of coach. And so – that's a breath of fresh air, and I think that's why these guys have looked so so good thus far this year. And the rotation piece, too, you're seeing less and less of that. 
I think that Larry Johnson probably has carte blanche free reign to rotate his guys up front. I, I truly believe that Jim Knowles is the defensive coordinator, but Larry Johnson has earned the right and the ability to tinker with his guys as much or as little as he wants. And so I think you'll see a lot of that up front, but uh, I'm at the game last night and I'm kind of watching, I'm watching and watching. And I, at the time I didn't realize Lathan Ransom was out, but the longer you watch the game, it's like, Oh, these are just the guys we're going with, you know, at corner, they were obviously limited with their options, but I kept waiting to see some other guys. You didn't really see Cam Martinez when the game um, you know, it was close or mattered. I thought we might see that. Um, Josh Proctor on the field pretty much the entirety of the game. Same thing for Ronnie Hickman and Tanner McAllister. So with the exception of the occasional Sonny Styles appearance, and I don't know about Cody Simon. I just don't remember. I don't uh, recall how much we saw him. Uh, Jim Knowles is going to roll with his guys. And then like we saw with Denzel Burke being pulled earlier in the season, if those guys are not performing, they're coming out. And maybe he gives them another opportunity later in the game. But I think that's part of the simplification process is here are your assignments. You're going to go out there as part of the first unit. You're expected to execute. And then if you don't, your butt might be coming out. But as much as some fans or, you know, even the players themselves, maybe they want to get out there and, and get more opportunity. This is how Ohio State is going to improve their defense. This is how they're going to build a cohesive unit and minimize the mental mistakes and the busted coverages and things like that. So at this point, it's sort of like, look, you need to earn your role and be ready to perform. And if you do, you're going to stay out there for most of the game. And while I'd like to see some of the other younger players I am more than happy if they're holding a helmet on the sideline because the guys in front of them are executing. So it's sort of a twofold thing, but I really like what we're seeing from Jim Knowles as a coach and the performance and the level of execution he's, he has gotten out of this defense. Yeah, for sure. You know, you say you don't want to disparage the previous coaches. I will. Those guys stunk. Uh, Jim Knowles, very, very good. I've liked that he's been kind of like you said, really riding the hot hand on defense. You know, if, if you've if you've made a severely bad play that's cost the team, you're coming out, a new guy's coming in, and whoever is performing better is going to play on that given Saturday. And I think they've done a very good job of both doing that, but also keeping those guys' confidence up that they that they've taken out. You know, especially with a guy. You know, you look at Josh Proctor, who in the first game let up the long play to Notre game came out of the game didn't play the rest of the game the coaches you know the past couple weeks have talked about how important he still is to their defense and then he comes out against Wisconsin and has a really really good game so seeing stuff like that I think is super important you're keeping all of your guys engaged you know that you know even if you're you know if you're taken out in a game or, or whatnot you're still an important part of the team you're not just you know getting holding your head low on the sideline and, and feeling like you know that you're you're a detriment to the team they're keeping their guys spirits up they're playing the hot hand and I've really liked what I've seen you know overall from like you said Jim Knowles is coaching how how he's handling the defense both you know in a in a scheme wise and personnel wise I think it's all been very very fun to watch even if it's not the most you know exciting coverages and, and blitz Schemes and all whatnot. Maybe they're saving that for better offenses than a Wisconsin came in with. Um, I, I've still very, very much liked what I've seen out there. Um, 
Is there is there anything else you really wanted to touch on, Josh, before we get out of here? I'm just looking. It's not defensive-wise, but just a very funny uh, stat thing to look at. Just players that have more receiving yards on the season than Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, Cade Stover, Jaden Ballard, and Xavier Johnson all on that list. So I, if you would have told me that, you know, four weeks in, those guys would have more catches than JSN, I'd probably assume that things have gone very, very wrong. But, you know, like we said, Ohio State's offense hasn't missed a beat. I just find it funny that, you know, some of the names that are ahead of him and what Ohio State's been able to do here without its, you know, one of its best players. Yeah, I'll respond to your question first. Very surprised. And I, I really hope they get JSN back out there. Not necessarily because they need him although I think they they really do and will at some point but I just love watching him play and he's such a a dynamic playmaker an explosive wide receiver and you know he was expected to come back this year and win the Bolitnikoff and maybe be a Heisman finalist and this that and the other so just because I like the guy and I'm rooting for him I hope that he gets back out there sooner than later and he looks good and he looks healthy and he's the same guy that we've seen in the past but yes it is very funny because you could probably continue to go down the list and find some other guys. I think what he's got – well, he came back against Toledo. For the for a couple weeks, he had two catches for three yards, if I'm not mistaken, but he put up a couple against Toledo. Regardless, we want to see him back out there. We want to see him healthy. I, I think the only other thing I want to bring up real quick, and I know we don't want to like end an Ohio State podcast talking about another team, but just briefly I want to ask you, what is Wisconsin doing with Paul Christ at this point? Because we've seen them lose, you know, get blown out um, in big games before. They're three, four losses a season per season since like 2017. We talked about it during our preview pod. And it was really striking to me last night. I, I said something to you before we jumped on. I forgot Paul Christ was the coach until like the third quarter last night. I'm standing or I'm sitting behind their bench. And he's just, he's a non-presence. He is a corpse out there. And then sometime during the third quarter, I saw him kind of walk out and, and talk to his guys. I was like, oh, Paul Christ is here. You know, nice of him to join the the party. But they got down early and maybe you just lack faith in Graham Mertz or whatever. But they, it seemed like they quit trying. And on top of that, to continue to just pound the ball with Braylon Allen, who is clearly your only offense, when you've got Chesma Lucy, who's a, a good back, you know, like he can do some things. So I, I guess just like what's the point of having Paul Christ if he's going to give up in big games and continue to use one guy at the potential risk or peril of his own health? I, I, I don't know. I don't, it's not a great question. But Gene, where are you at with the whole Paul Chris dynamic? It was a very funny juxtaposition to see, you know, both coaches on the sideline, how they were handling the game. Because on one side, like you said, you had Paul Chris, who was, you know, down, I think at this point it was 28 to 7, and just kind of stone faced out there. And Ryan Day spent about 10 minutes arguing a PI call with his team up 28 to 7. Um, literally just screaming at the at the refs for like five to ten full minutes. Um, and it was just very funny to see how the different coaches were handling a game because Ryan Day, you know, is, is up a million and he's you know he's pissed off about this one specific thing that went wrong. And Paul Chris's team is getting you know absolutely bludgeoned out there, and he just doesn't really seem to have a care in the world. So yeah, like you said, I don't really know what Wisconsin is is hoping from from Paul Christ here. I think they've kind of like we talked about in our in our preview, I think they've sort of reached the ceiling of what this program can be under him. Um you're looking at a team now that that's two and two to start the year. You know, a team that came into the season with with aspirations of winning the Big Ten West and now I think they're probably, you know I mean the Big Ten West is a is a absolute 
you know, it, it's they bad still out there. Could. It, yeah, they it, still it's, could. It's sad that it, they still could. It's bad out there. But I, I do think teams like, you know, Minnesota and Iowa are probably ahead of them, ahead of, them at this point in the year. Um, which is sad given that Iowa doesn't have anything resembling an offense, but nonetheless, um, it, it is interesting to see. I don't know if he'll, you know, this, this might be the last year in Wisconsin for Holchrist. I don't know how they feel about him. It, you know, it's, it seems odd. It seems like, you know, the natural progression here would to be to give the team over to Jim Leonard. Um, but you know, I'm not the one making these decisions, but it does feel like, yeah, I don't really see the point at, at this point. They're not competitive in these big games. Um, they're just get, they're getting blown out by 30 every time they play Ohio state, which, you know, is, is not something that most, most teams do do that in the big 10, but when you're Wisconsin, the, the level of, of competition should be much higher. You should at least be playing competitive football games with Ohio State, you know, at least once or twice here and there. It hasn't even been close the last couple times. Um, so very interesting. I don't know, you know, if this is another 3-4 loss season for Wisconsin, I think that, you know, Paul Chris' time in, in Madison could be coming to an end. But I just, I don't know. It's It seemed, like I said earlier, you know, they had that, that early fourth down play where they could have easily went for it and kept the game alive. But instead they punted, Ohio State scored, and the, the game was virtually over. So decisions like that are really kind of a culmination of, of the Paul Chris era in Wisconsin. Just far too conservative. No real offense to speak of outside of the run game. The defense has always been solid, but even that is starting to, to slowly slip away as maybe Maybe the you know the recruiting or whatnot is, is not as up to up to par as has been previously. So really, not a ton of positives going in Paul Chris's direction right now. I don't really see the point in, in continuing to have him out there. But yeah, I mean he, he's still there. I guess that's that's what he's got going for him. So I don't know. I'm not a it Paul Chris guy. It could be the guy. Big Ten West mantra. You know they can just keep him around like uh, Iowa has kept Kirk Ferentz around. But yeah, the reason I ask that question is because I feel like as an Ohio State fan or from our perspective. Look, I didn't want to go to that game last night and sweat it out. Uh, I wasn't hoping that Wisconsin kept it close, and I wasn't, you know, certainly wasn't upset with an Ohio State blowout. But then again, it was a little bit disappointing, though, to like just see Wisconsin give up. Like, I thought it was really strange almost that he was a non entity and there was just no interaction on the sideline from what I saw. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe he had a bad week. Maybe he wasn't feeling well or something like that. But it was almost strange to see the lack of like energy and enthusiasm or anything from him. And usually you would correlate that to a lame duck. Like he looked like a lame duck on the sidelines. So that's why I brought it up. But, um, you know, Gene, bring us back around. Bring us home in some way to our Buckeyes before we get out of here. Uh, yeah, you know, big, big game coming up against the, the fighting Rutgers. Um, that hey, is three and one, three and one Rutgers, three Scarlet and one Knights. Rutgers. Uh, I guess that's exciting. I wish the game was, was in Jersey this year so I could go, but unfortunately it is, well, fortunately for you guys, unfortunately for me, it is in Columbus, um, Ohio state's what fifth straight now home game to begin the year. Um, so that should be yep. something we will have a preview for you guys, uh, coming out this week, as well as all of our usual preview content, maybe not as, you know, in-depth stuff on Rutgers, more stuff on Ohio state, but still, you know, it, there's nothing wrong being four and Ohio state has got everything working right now. There's a lot to feel good about. Um, and, you know, another more or less tune-up game coming up here before they get into the rest of, of Big Ten play, where they do have, like you, you mentioned before, you know, the Penn States and the Michigans of the world have looked pretty good, so those will be really tougher competitions. But I, I think overall, if you're an Ohio State fan, you have to feel pretty darn good about how this team looks on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, we didn't really talk about the special teams, but that looks good too. You know, uh, Jesse Murko continues to drop punts inside the 10, um, making good tackles. We might as need a whole. to revisit the kickoff return, though. Yeah, 
Um, you know, it's it's it is what it is. Having a full time special teams coach, I still think is incredibly stupid. But nonetheless, um, I think the special teams has been fine. I believe, yeah, Ohio State did make make a field goal in this game. So, uh, you know, everything everything is clicking on all three fronts there. So not not a ton to complain about. But nonetheless, I think that'll be it for our uh, our Wisconsin autopsy here. Uh, be sure to you know like, rate, view, subscribe, <laughs> all the good stuff. All the podcasts ask you to do. Check out our written content over at LandGrantHolyLand.com. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks.